the quarterback going deep to pass this time, and he's going to be caught. However, he does get the ball away, intercepted in the end zone by Corona. It'll be a touchback. The ball will come out to the 20, as Ted Patel, I believe, was the lad who got the ball way back there in the end zone. He did a tremendous job of making sure no one was going to get that one. And From the 10, first and goal. Klopp looking to throw. A little pass over the middle. Burns catches it. Touchdown, Corona on the slant to Matt Burns. Klopp looking to throw, steps up in the pocket, throws a pass out, complete to Burns. Burns at the 10, into the end zone, touchdown, Matt Burns. Here's Patel, he'll run that way, he has him open in the end zone, up in the air, touchdown, Corona. Let's see who caught that, that might have been the tight end that time. Here's the shotgun snap, the fake to Dumont, they go to Quinn, the flag pattern downfield. Oh! Right into the end zone! Touchdown, Corona, and I gotta say it, an absolutely perfect pass by Jared Patel, a 30-yard touchdown. Yes, it was intercepted in the end zone as we have the Cavaliers bringing it out on a touchback to the 20-yard line. I think Ted Patel was the one who got the ball. I'm not sure, however, so we'll call it a Corona interception, and Ted Patel, if you're the one who got, the, got it, good for you. Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome to episode 34 of Three Point Podcast. Hey, that was really cool listening to some of the old broadcast and even this guy here with some of the broadcast with the guys here in Three Point Pod. I'm Ted Fatel of Sportsnet Michigan and play-by-play voice of Z92.5. On the phone is Matt Burns of ESPN. Also on the phone tonight, Jared Fatel of Fox 17 in Grand Rapids. Our sponsors tonight include the Corona Public Schools, Rivals Tap House and Grill, the Corona Connection, and our podcast recording home z92.5 the castle we'll be checking in a little later on with our favorite older athletic supporter jack strap and we really really appreciate all the supports and comments at our new twitter site at three point pod help us continue to grow and subscribe on apple itunes and rate us and comment on our page you can also follow us on soundcloud or tune in whichever site you listen to we really really appreciate it tonight we're going to recap our last week we'll also talk a little bit about our our recently dropped three-point podcast prep preview show, which has gotten a lot of good reviews so far. And we'll also talk the backyard brawl between Owasso and Corona. We'll talk with coaches Devin Pringle of the Trojans and Kyle Robinson of the Cavaliers making their first three-point podcast appearance. But guys, first thing we're going to do is kind of go down memory lane and uh, get into maybe some of our memories of the old Owasso and Corona football series. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, I, I, I go all the way back to the beginning, have had a chance to broadcast play-by-play of all 16 matchups to this point. Always a lot of excitement. The fans come out. Everybody knows everybody. But my all-time memory, since I didn't have the fortunate uh, advantage of playing in that game, the very first matchup, even though it was a Cavalier loss, was a game to end all games. 30-27, to 27, the Trojans came back from a 10-point deficit with under a minute and a half to go. 10.40 to go in this one. Owasso threatening to go up by more. They lead it by three right now. Jared Dome on first and goal from the one. Keeps it himself. Into the end zone, touchdown, Jared Dove and the Trojans. And Owasso jumps out now by nine over Corona. It's going to be Giesken back to pass, looking this way. Looks downfield, has a bad Van Loon wide open at the 40. He's going to go all the way. The 20, the 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, touchdown, Corona. A 65-yard touchdown connection. 
mentioned from Brett Deeskin to Don Van Loon. And the Cavaliers are back in this one. Second one, 3.39 to go here in the ballgame. Deeskin gets the handoff quarterback sneak. Touchdown, Brett Deeskin. The Cavaliers have taken the lead. Here's a handoff in the backfield. It's Hamill into the end zone. How about that? Right off the bench, Scott Hamill runs it in from 10 yards out, and that's going to close the door, folks. First and goal from the five-yard line. Exactly right. Trojans send Troy Smith out on the far side. Ryan Smith here on the near side. Dome at quarterback. Eye formation. Looks to throw. Throws one out in the left flat. Has a man open. Touchdown, Owasso. Troy Smith. He lost the defender, and the Trojans score the touchdown. And we still have 46 seconds to go. He has all his players on the far side. Every one of them. Nielsen kicks it that way. It bounces. The Trojans have a chance. And they have the ball. An incredible kick and catch by Owasso. And they have life. Third and ten from the Corona 28. Owasso with the ball. Two cracks at least. Dome rolls left. Oh, he has all kinds of time. He has a man downfield. He's open. Touchdown, Owasso. Incredible finish. <laughs> Troy Smith first the Cavaliers. An all-time classic on the radio. How about you guys? Some of your experiences. Wait, well, what year was that? That was 97. Oh, okay. Was that game at Corona? I feel like I remember going to watch that game. That was at Corona, yeah, jam-packed. Yeah, I remember going to watch that. I remember being one of those little kids uh, over in the yard, over by the bleachers, just playing backyard football during the game. But I remember the end of the game being awesome. Now tell me which game maybe had, so when I've, when I've been growing up, the game that had the most hype was, it was like, a, I think it was 2011 or 2010. It was when both, like, Coach Chris Curtis and, like, Coach Tom Arkema, like, they both returned, like, the same year. Right. And played each other. And it was literally all, it all had to do with coaches because the teams were absolutely terrible. <laughs> I remember that's, like, the most packed I've seen in the stands. Was that, was that similar to, like, the 1997 game when they finally played each other? or? Well, for me, the 1997 game is really the classic one. Now, they didn't play each other from 2003 through 2006. Are you thinking maybe of the 2007 game, Jared? No, this was the game where uh, it was like Coach Curtis and Coach Arkham was, like they both came back and coached. Okay. That was what I remember. I just remember how packed the crowd was. But for me, like, I did just when I think of that rivalry, I think of like, it really does. It means everything to like both the towns. Like, I remember I've never been probably more nervous in my life than it was my junior year. And I remember we went to BJ's as a team. Right. And I just got, and I, you know, I didn't really know anything about guy. I had like a breakfast like pancakes uh, sausage bacon like the whole nine yards and i just remember afterwards like it sort of set in like that i had to play like my first varsity game later and i just remember like it was like i was an alien like i remember just like sitting there like people were talking i couldn't really tell what was going on around me and people i like people were looking at me like i was just like ghost face and i just remember i'll never forget that feeling like just how nerved up you get like for that game i know what you mean i mean did you did you hold your dinner in or did you upchuck it Somehow I fell asleep later in the day, and then when I woke up from a nap, I felt a lot better. But I just remember I, I've never felt more sick in my life, and just more butterflies have never been present before a football game for me personally. Well, since we're so talking, well, I was going to ask you a question first. You know, we're talking to the youngest buck here on the podcast, and you played two times as a starter against Owasso, won both games, right? 
Yeah, like probably like a total score of like 100 to like 14 probably. Yeah, your junior year, I think it was 40 to 3, and your senior year, 47 to 6. Uh, did you, was it still as tense leading up to uh, the second time around as a senior, or were you, you know, supremely confident because you guys had a heck of a team that year? Yeah, it was supremely, we were supremely confident going into my senior year. I just remember there was a lot of trash talk, so I had Cooper Clapp, he was like our offensive lineman, he's at Ferris now. Some kids from Owasso literally went and like ripped his mailbox out of the ground <laughs> on the Owasso team, and like there were a couple of Owasso linebackers, and I've never seen someone more bloodthirsty in my life just going after kids. He probably had like ten pancakes that game. <laughs> How about you, Matt? I know you had uh, excellent teams as well. What were your memories of the, of your games against the Trojans? Well, the biggest thing I remember my my senior year, the year that we went nine and zero, Owasso they they were a little down. They they were a pretty good team, but. We kind of we put a whooping on them in Owasso. We beat them 34 to 13. So uh, I had two touchdowns. I had, I had another one that got called back. So I still hold it against uh, one of our linemen got a holding call on that touchdown. I still hold it against him for because I would have had three touchdowns that game. <laughs> but but that game it, it was fun. It was fun to win in Owasso and, and put a whooping on them. But the crazy memory was my junior year when we played him at Corona. There were storms. So in 2001. There were lightning, and we had a bunch of delays. We had to go into the, the middle school and sit there for like an hour or two while the, the lightning storm passed, and then we had to go back out there and play a little bit. So it was just a really strange night because, you know, you have to, you're have you all hyped up for the game. You know, you get the, the weather delay. You have to go into the, the middle school. We sit there for like an hour just doing nothing, and then you have to try and get hyped up again and go back out there and play. We ended up losing. We, we didn't play that well after, oh, after the delay. But but that, that was a that was a strange game. You know, it's it, you bring up the weather delay too. There was another memorable game I remember that uh, uh, it, it was a Friday night. They had lightning come through. It never disappeared. So the athletic directors decided to play the second half Saturday. Unfortunately, I had a commitment, a wedding, a family wedding that I had to go to. So I had to bring in a substitute to do the second half of the Kronowasso game. So I guess I did fifteen and a half instead of sixteen. I do remember that one. That was I'm pretty sure that was my freshman or, or sophomore year but I do remember having to go back Saturday morning and watch the rest of the game now, now that was that was maybe more strange than my experience you know having to wake up I can't imagine as a player having to wake up Saturday morning and knowing you have to play just like another half of football that'd be pretty strange you know we're going to be talking with uh, the head coaches here coming up but uh, I want to get your guys thoughts about playing at Wilman Stadium what do you think about playing there in the neighborhood in Owasso well, that was actually one of the notes I put. Like, because it's at Corona, and I'm a Corona alum, but it's just not as big. It's just not as big as, as as big of a game as it is when it's at Wilman Field. There's just something about that field. It's they need to what they need to do though. Those visitor stands are such a piece of junk. <laughs> like, if they replace those with just some solid stands, that might be one of the best stadiums. Or if they got a turf field, I know that's a lot. I mean, they just passed the bond. They need to put turf on that field. See, I think I, I don't know, man. I, I I understand what you're saying. I. You know, I'm biased towards Nick and East Field, obviously, but I, I thought it was cool playing at that field, like right there in the neighborhood. Uh, you got fans just surrounding the whole stadium around the fence, and you know the history of it and everything like that. I remember playing there uh, in, in fifth and sixth grade, playing kicks football, and just thinking it was an enormous stadium. I don't know, it just felt big as a fifth and sixth grader, but but I, I can see what you're saying, Jared. It, you know, I remember when I was playing, it was it seemed like it was starting to fall apart. The locker rooms were, were not very nice. But, 
but I, I still thought it was a cool scene. Yeah, they have upgraded it quite a bit uh, also in the last couple of years, at least the home side. They do have a press box on the visitor side now with concessions. I mean, it's come a long ways. But, you know, you talked about playing Little League football, Matt, at Wilman, and there's nothing like under the lights there, though, at that stadium. I mean, that's, you know, I love Nick and East Field, too. Obviously, I grew up right across the street, you know, and, and saw many, many games there. But... One of the coolest places I get to broadcast from is Owasso's Wilman Field. I think it's one of the probably the top five or six high school stadiums in the state of Michigan. Now, when did it, what, what, what is the history? When did that field open up, do you know? Yeah, it was built in the 30s. Uh, it was right at the fairly early portion of Franklin Roosevelt's reign. He was trying to bring the country out of the Depression. They had what was called the Work uh, Work Act. I can't remember the WPA, but it was a deal where the government would hire contractors to build stadiums and do road work and you know try to put the country back to work. And that's really uh, what happened at Wilman Field. They got grant money from the government and the stadium was put up there. There's a stadium in uh, Port Huron, very similar, kind of the same architect, I believe. And there's a few other stadiums with the concrete structure. I believe Cadillac has the same situation as well. Those old-time stadiums made of concrete, I just love them, you know. And even though the even though the locker rooms underneath are obviously dated, they have updated the, the bathroom facilities, it's just very cool the whole way it's laid out. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's a cool stadium, and, and you know, you brought up the, the under the lights thing, and with this being the, the first week of, of high school football coming back, it, just talking about playing under the lights and everything, it just brings back some cool memories. What do you guys think about, obviously, growing up here in the Corona Nawaso area, do you think that's the, the top rivalry game, or is, are there any other ones you would think that would uh, hold, the, hold the same candle to it? What, what I, and now tell me if I'm wrong, but didn't Ron and Chesney used to have a pretty big rivalry. Oh, absolutely! If you're gonna if you're gonna throw out a rivals, for sure the Corona and Chesney rivalry. They went from 1950 all the way up until just a couple years ago, playing every single year. And, and as you know, both school systems pretty similar in size and same kind of tradition on on the athletic fields and courts. That that's a great rivalry, which I'm very sad to see has disappeared at least for now. Yeah, that that's the one I was gonna bring up was Chesney. I mean. When, when I was going to school, like in the mid, late 90s, early 2000s, Chesanine, they had, I mean, they won, well, one or two state championships and had a lot of success. And then we had uh, a couple guys on my team and the Skodak brothers from Chesanine. So we kind of had that tie. They We had that rivalry with the Skodak brothers and then, then the long-storied history with Chesanine. So that was probably the biggest one to me. There were some other ones, I guess like Durand, but we always whooped on Durand. So that wasn't like a huge rivalry. But Owasso was cool because it was just that crosstown rival. You know, you would see each other in town if you're at the grocery store, you know, at the gas station. So that that was definitely a cool one, though. I mean, some of my favorite, like, memories growing up of watching, like, Corona football was definitely, like, the Corona Owasso games. Like, I remember um, Logan Hebekeiser. Like, I thought he was, like, a superhuman. He had, like, five, like they were handing the ball off to him, like, every play. This was probably, like, 2006 or 2007, I'm guessing, when he played. And he had, like, five touchdowns, like, rushing. And they and Corona beat Owasso by, like, 40. And kind of a funny story, that if there's ever been, like, a rabbit hole that I fell down, that I have no idea how I fell down, Nick Shipman was, like, the quarterback of that team, and he ended up going to Michigan, and he started, like, a blog called, like, Between Two Nicks. <laughs> it must have been him and another Nick, I'm guessing. And he told the story how he was he was a little bit jealous of Logan, like, scoring all the touchdowns, and so they were up big, and he called an audible, um, like, the, like, up by, like, 35 points or so to, like, a passing play. And he, did, and he ended up throwing a pick six. And the kid that returned it 
literally trucked him over. It was hilarious. <laughs> Karma. I, but anyway, like his his Between Two Nicks blog, uh, it only has like five posts on it. That's one of them. And I'm one of the only fans probably in the entire world of that, of that blog. <laughs> so shout out that blog. There you go. Hey, you also, you, you mentioned about the trash talking that was going on in your era, Jared. And this, I don't even think this happened as much in Matt's era. There was none of this in my era. There was trash talking, but it was all... There was no social media. Okay, that's how old I am. In Jared's time, obviously, there's Twitter, there's Facebook. The trash talking goes to a new level. Now, Matt, when you played, was it the M Live thing? They had the M Live chat room at one time. And I don't know if that was before your time or after. <laughs> that was what it was. It was the M Live forums. Right. I mean, you could get on there. There wasn't. I mean, there was uh, MySpace, but it wasn't. It wasn't as big as obviously like Facebook is now. But there wasn't Twitter or Facebook. But, yeah, the MLive forums, because you could get on there and, like, basically create an account, like a, an anonymous account, and just start talking trash the whole time. So that was a huge deal to the extent that Jared's dad and, and your brother, Coach Coach Fattel, during basketball season, basically banned us from getting on the MLive forums. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. I did not know that. No, but you mentioned, like, trash talk. Literally, uh, Owasso had, like, a wide receiver. He said Ethan McMara. He literally called our whole entire team. Like he had, a, he, he was a Snapchat. He took a picture of like his. It was a. I actually thought it was hilarious. He took a picture of his garbage and said like Corona's like lineup, <laughs> starting lineup. <laughs> it was a picture of just like a pile of garbage. <laughs> I expected him for it, but uh, they ended up losing like forty-seven to six or something like that. So, so you had the last word. Well, it is always kind of fun when, when I'm not going to say I promote trash talking, but it is kind of fun if it's done in the right way. And uh, definitely in a rival game, you would expect nothing less. I mean, Ohio State and Michigan, you got Michigan State and Michigan. I mean, it goes on and on with the big rivals out there. So, I mean, it, it's great having a chance here to talk about the big game. By the way, the Castle will be broadcasting it Friday night, airtime right around 645 I'll be there with Bart Matthews. We'll do the game and then follow it up with our first sports forum program of the season. That's on Z92.5 The Castle. You can hear it here locally in Michigan, and you can hear us worldwide on the web at Z92.5.com. Uh, so, guys, any final memories on uh, the Owasso Corona game before we get to the coaches? Yeah, well, just part of the memory, you know, you and Barman have a dynamic duo when it comes to this game. You guys are a part of as much a part of this game as who's like the famous Michigan uh, radio broadcaster. Bob Eufer? Yeah, you're just like how Bob Eufer is to the Michigan game. That's how you and Mr. Bartman are to the Corona Owasso game. But I remember back in like 2007 or 6, I can always get like 2006 and 2008 confused, but there was like a 9-7 to thriller where Corona won on like a last second field goal. 2009. Yeah, 2009. Okay, 2009. And I remember my dad forced us to leave early because he claimed there was no way Corona was going to win. <laughs> we missed probably one of the best Corona Owasso games ever. And, and imagine me, like an uh, eight-year-old, seeing that story in the newspaper the next day, missing that game. You mean he wouldn't even put it on the radio for uh, you? I, like, I think, I don't know. I guess not. <laughs> dude, we just missed it. <laughs> I think he just was ticked off. We were sitting in the press box with you, I think, listening to you call the game while we watched. Right. I remember he was just kind of ticked off over the game, how poorly Corona was playing. And I think we just probably listened to, well, no, I think this is what it was, actually. Funny story here. <laughs> a little bit of a tangent. <laughs> For three years, we had a Brian Adams CD, uh, like summer of 69. Album, right. Stuck in our trailblazer. It was the only thing we could listen to for about three or four years. You couldn't even turn on the radio? You had to listen to Brian Adams? No, I know every word to every song on that album. 
his, his music sometimes is kind of depressing. Yeah, it can be. <laughs> it took us four years to get around to fixing it. I think it's cool that they moved this game. I don't know how long it's been the opening game of the season, but for us it was like uh, the third or fourth game of the season. But right. I definitely think it's cool to, to have this one be uh, the first game of the season. Open things up with the Crosstown rival. You went through the whole summer camps, all the seven-on-sevens, all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, open the season up with your the Crosstown rivalry game. Even if, even if one of the teams is down a little bit, it's still a big game. Uh, no doubt about it, and it's we always say it every year. It's it's like the Mid Michigan high school football uh, Daytona 500 in NASCAR. They start off with their biggest event as well. Yeah. Uh, so how do you guys see this game going like this year? Do you guys have any predictions? Uh, Ted, are you are you going to pull a Kirk Herbstreit? Are you not allowed to give? A- yeah, I probably shouldn't. But you two, you two guys can. I would say though that I would give Corona just a nod. Uh, just because they have uh, dominated the last four years, or that last three years, actually, Owasso's last victory was a win against Corona, 33-22 in uh, 2014. But uh, the Trojans have really took it on the chin the last three straight years. But what do you guys? What are your guys' thoughts? Well, I, I think I well, let me just put out what I think. I think it'll be Corona 28 to Owasso 14. But did you guys, like, this is kind of under the story, and listening to the prep preview, no one mentioned it, uh, or Ryan Weiss didn't mention it from the Argus. But Corona has a guy, uh, Jake or Nick Steinecker, who's been offered by Michigan. So what the story is with this, he went to the Michigan um, big man, like big man camp. And what they do with this camp, they kind of they take a look at your credentials, kind of your time combine stats, if, if you will, and they'll split you into two groups. So basically, if I went to this camp, I would be split into the fun group, like the scrum group, like you play flag football in this group. He was split into like the athlete group. And so what happened was he was impressing the coaches, like, all day. It was just, like, I mean, he's, like, a six six high jumper, and he's, like, a defensive lineman. Like, he's a stud athlete. He's only a sophomore. And his parents, actually, like, his dad was a heavyweight wrestler in Michigan, and his mom was, a high, I think, a high jumper in Michigan. And what ended up happening was, they, like, they just kept uh, – Dr. Blitz was, you know, just in awe of them. And what happened was, on the way home, uh, they must have got his number from, like, this uh, camp sign-up, and they actually called his mom, Jim Harbaugh himself, and offered him a scholarship. So – you know, it's not very often you see someone from Corona getting offered by Michigan, so I just wanted to throw that out there. No, that's awesome. And you, you said he plays defensive line? Yeah, and I think wide out on offense. So that's a, na- that's a name for me to watch out for then, Steinecker, huh? Yeah, I mean, he's only a sophomore, so you never know, like, how much of an impact he'll be able to have on a varsity game. But, I mean, when you're going against a team that's lost 35 straight games, I'm guessing he's going to stick out like a sore thumb out there yeah. and probably have a heyday. How about you, Matt? What are your thoughts? I mean, I'm obviously I'm going to pull Corona. I just just knowing the recent history, um, it seems like Corona is more on the uptick than Owasso is. But I couldn't believe it. I don't know if it was last year, or maybe a couple years ago, when I saw that Owasso changed their helmets up. I don't know how long ago they did that, but it almost like disgusts me that they went with the uh, the Michigan look with their helmets. A little surprising because uh, if you've been around this Owasso area for a long time, it's pretty heavy green and white over here. So to see the school go to the Michigan helmet, yeah, it was a little surprising. I thought the the Owasso helmets that I remember with you know the yellow with the Trojan, I thought that was actually like a pretty cool helmet. So I really I don't know why they changed it up. Something that I noticed with the Owasso, like since uh, their head coach's name is it's Coach Pringle, right? Yep, Devin Pringle. So what they run is uh, they run like the wing tee. And it's not like – I just wanted to get your guys' opinion on this. Like, do you guys like the wing tee where it's just, like, straight, like, smash mouth or where it's, like, deceiving? You know, like, everyone carries out their fakes. Because I noticed that they either aren't very disciplined and they don't carry out their fakes or they're just going to try to smash it on your throw. I'm not sure which one it is for them personally. If you're running the wing tee 
and you're not running it where everyone is carrying out the fakes, it almost defeats the purpose. Because I remember playing teams like, like Hazlitt used to do that and a couple other teams that we played did it. And I remember the defense, like our defense, they would have to prepare. We wouldn't even practice with a ball. They would just practice basically with like a dime or a quarter or something like that. Because mm-hmm. if, if the team is really good and they carry out all their fakes, that offense can be effective. But if they're not doing that, then, yeah, it defeats the purpose. Yeah, and I think Coach Pringle, the intent is to do the, the the heavy play faking. It's just what he was dealt with last year, first year at the program. I think he took over a little late also. So I think we're going to see a little bit more of that play faking with their offense this year, even though it will still be the wing tee for sure. And it's, it's an effective offense if you run it right. If you have the right linemen and a couple good running backs, yeah, you can, you can have some success. Well, it's going to be a lot of fun coming up Friday night. And, uh, guys, I think what we're going to do right now is take a little break, and then we'll come back at the end of the podcast with some of our normal uh, sporting talk, if that's okay with you guys. But right now, we'll hear from Rivals Tap House and Grill. They're having a, a special beer dinner to celebrate one of the largest independent craft breweries around. Featured, be- featured beers will include Sam Adams, Cherry Wheat, Sam 76, a whole bunch of others, and food items include bacon, cherry, vinaigrette, that's a vinaigrette salad, a pork taco, knockwurst, a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, it's Thursday, September 13th at 6 o'clock. Cost is only 30 bucks a ticket, and it, they're going to limit it to the first 40 tickets sold. So get a hold of the folks at Rivals Tap House and Grill on the corner of M21 and Shiawassee in Corona. Well, next up on the pod, we have uh, Corona Cavalier head coach Kyle Robinson and coming off a 5-4 and four record a year ago, looking to get back to the playoffs. Hi, Coach. Welcome to the pod. Ted, it's great to be back. How are you? Uh, doing well. Good to talk with you again. Looking forward to Friday night's Sports Forum uh, recaps of games. And, the, you know, we're going to be there live on Friday against the Owasso Trojans. First of all, tell us how your practices have been going leading up to this point. I tell you what, we just had one heck of a physical practice. Tuesday's our day where we get after it real good and uh, and do our do the thick of the hitting that we do throughout the week. But I've you know I've been very impressed with this group for the for the small twelve senior class we have. They understand what's at stake and the the legacy they want to leave behind. And from what I've seen and from what us as a coaching staff has really emphasized, you know, practice. Like any coach who's been on here has been made a utmost importance from the way we do things between periods, the way we compete with each other, and I've really, really enjoyed being around this group more so this early in the year than I usually do, and it's uh, we've, we've been having some really nice practices. Now, I know the numbers are what? You're about 30, 31 players on the varsity level this season? We're at 33 right now. 33, okay. And uh, ideally... You know, in a school the size of Corona, what would you like to see? Are you at about where you want to be, or you use a few more bodies? It's hard for me to always say a number because I want to get as many guys out as I can, but I'm also not a guy who's trying to run around the halls, you know, grabbing guys by shirt tails saying, you know, get out here and play football. You know, I want someone who has the heart and the drive to, to play and practice a sport that's really, really tough. And, uh, but if I had to put a number on it, I always want 30 because you want 11 on 11, and then you want some other guys to be able to back up and do things and, and try to distribute your starters the best way you can, some one-way guys, some two-way guys. So if I had to put a number, I'd say 30. You know, I don't even know if they do this nowadays. Back when I played, which was 
obviously everybody knows a long time ago, Kyle. Uh, we would have, every once in a while, we would play against the JV team. Do they even do that anymore? You know, that first year I was here with Chris, we did it once in a while, and uh, we don't do it anymore. Just too much of a difference in, <laughs> in physicality between the young guys. You know, we have a combined... Right freshman JV team this year. We could have done two levels, but the two grades complement each other personnel-wise. And uh, I don't know if it would be constructive enough to do so. I know Coach Sawyer and I would have a lot of fun going back and forth on it, though. <laughs> also, uh, you know, all you coaches have mottos and, and philosophies, but you do have a motto this year, fight the mirror. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think last year, you know, last year I learned more about non-football things. And I know to someone who's listening is probably going, what the heck is he talking about? Um, in my opinion, being a young man this day and age, and even you know someone my age, your age, I think the toughest person you compete with every single day you know, is right up tip-top of your brain. And you're constantly fighting battles throughout the day, whether they be physical, mental, social, emotional, whatever they are. And if you can win those battles, you know, and be an above-the-line guy and do things with intention and be skillful with it and do things on purpose the right way, you know, you're going to give yourself the best chance to succeed. And I, I sat down at the end of the year last year and thought about how we beat ourselves so many times and how it linked back to practices. And I said, you know, how can I convey to these guys every single day that we're going to compete against ourselves. You know, you wake up, you look in the mirror just about every day. That's the dude you got to fight with the most. I like it. I like the philosophy, and it's a, that's a great motto. Now, you know, also, Coach, we're talking with Kyle Robinson of the Corona Cavaliers. Uh, you're replacing some pretty good players from a year ago, 23 seniors graduated. Uh, you know, the go-to guys, obviously, Zach Sawyer, Schemenauer at a wideout. Uh, how are you filling those holes? You know, I always say this, too. The hardest thing to, to replace is, is kids' personalities and, the, and who they are. You know, I ne would never be able to replace a Zach Sawyer and, and what he does from a preparation and character standpoint and how he represented our school and things like that. But, you know, I'm a, you know we're next man in philosophy. And it starts with what we do in the weight room. And, you know, your top-end kids are always going to want to develop. They're always going to want to get better. But, you know, what are you doing with your – you know, number 12 through 15 or 16 or 17 guys, you know, the, how are you developing them? And I, I, I don't give our kids enough credit for the sacrifice they put in in the weight room and, and speed training, which we put an emphasis on. So we've had a lot of guys mature physically, you know, and with three, with three sophomores that are going to get a lot of playing time as well. The way they've conditioned their minds and bodies, too, is just unbelievable. But we have more guys returning this year with game experience than we did last year, which a lot of people I don't think know. Mm. So a lot of guys who got a lot of significant snaps on both sides of the ball. And then uh, just other guys who, who have been, uh, you know, you say thrown into the fire. You know, there's guys who were, were two-way starters on JV who are going to be two-way starters this year. So it's a little bit of a combination of guys coming back who have played a lot and, you know, guys who are juniors and sophomores who are going to come right in and, and be under the lights on this Friday. Yeah, well, as you know, being a player yourself at uh, Grand Ledge and then collegiately, it's a little bit different coming up from the JV and playing your very first Friday night game under the lights, especially a rival game like this against the uh, neighbors to Owasso. Tell us a little bit about uh, what these youngsters really have to get out of their system early on in a game and, uh, you know, tell us some of the names maybe that will be heard on Friday night, maybe some of your key players. We always talk about if your mind 
if your mind is able to work fast at practice and you condition it that way, and I'm not naive enough to say, I said it in a meeting today, we practice like we play, but there are also huge lights out on the practice field and there isn't, you know, I don't know, 2,000, 2,500 people there at the game, but we try to emulate as much as possible during practice what a game is going to be like, whether it be situational, you know, from a, a crowd standpoint with noise, whatever it may be, and, uh, you know, pressure situations. So I always tell our guys is I don't care if we're kickoff first, kick return, offense first, defense first, that very first snap, even if you make a mistake, you better make it full speed. There better not be when we turn the film on on Sunday at our meeting, someone, you know, turned around with their palms up or making a mistake based on effort. So play as fast as possible within the rules of what whatever we're doing. You know, is impose your will is a thing we say a lot. You know, guys who are going to stand out for us this year, Ethan Hollister played receiver for us last year. He, he complimented us on the other side of the ball at corner as well. So he's, he's going to play defense we, you know, with Jared two years ago and with Zach this past year. Those guys didn't play a ton of defense. But we need our best guys on the field that can cover down and, and play deep in the secondary. So he's going to play both sides of the ball when we need him to. Um, Is he penciled in as QB right now? Y- yes, sir. Okay. And then uh, Noah Sims is going to be another guy on offense who is just, you know, he looks like he's 25 <laughs> and he, he can move. You know, he only had a few carries up at Chessening. We wanted to make sure we came out of there healthy. And he's going to be a guy that is going to shoulder the load on offense along with uh, Logan Geringer. It's, there's a one-two punch there with, I mean, I could throw 40 numbers out or 100-meter dash times, but they're both very, very, very fast. And they're both going to, uh, you know, get a lot of carries this year. we got to get creative with how we get them the ball. So also on offense, you know, our offensive line is going to have four new starters and Brock Brewer is coming back as the, the veteran of the group. He'll be a two-way starter on offensive and defensive line. But those those juniors, when they're prepared and they're focused, I mean, they're, they're good. And we need to minimize mistakes. And if we can do that, that unit will work very well together. Wide receiver is a position also that we're, you know, there isn't a household name coming back. But you got guys like Trent Sizemore, who did not play last year, who I'm just tickled that he came back out. He's 6'4 frame. He's got some speed. And then um, Kevin Jackson and Jake Thompson, and then uh, Nick Steinecker, who is uh, six foot six, will also put him out at receiver too. And he's a he's a mismatch for anybody. Somebody's got to respect him. So defensively, we're going to start uh, three sophomores. And I'm not afraid to put that out there. We're going to start three sophomores and Nick Steinecker, Scout Jones, and Porter Zeman, who have all deserve. Uh, deserved what they've got you know to start as a sophomore in a varsity football game so Brock Brewer like I talked about be another guy on defense that you hear a lot of you're going to hear Nick Steinecker's name a lot you know Cale Stratton's another guy who plays tight end for us and also a defensive end he's put a ton of work in he's going to be a name you're going to hear a lot as well so a lot of other contributors that are going to be you know spot starters come in a little bit so you know, we have a little bit of depth at certain positions, and then some positions, you know, we got to make sure that guys are staying healthy and in, in great shape. So, well, you're talking about names. I like the name Scout Jones. That's already on my list for the year right now. I like that. Yeah, his real name's Hayden. So, but if you call him that, he gets really upset. Ooh, that might be some radio time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you got a, you got the big game against Owasso. Just uh, coach speak here. What do you what do you got to do to to beat the Trojans? Um, you know, it's, it's second year in Coach Pringle's system. You know, you get you get to spend an entire off season, 
you know, I would imagine their strength program, you know, they're an improved team. Uh, whenever two cities, you know, touch each other like we have, you know, Middletown in the middle, you know, mm-hmm. families know each other, you know, students know each other, you see each other in the community, it, it brings a special element to what we do. And when when those things all come together, it's, it's a great recipe for a tremendous um, rivalry. We have to make sure that our young guys who are in their first game action like I said earlier, minimize mistakes. We have to make sure that right off the bat we start fast and physical. You know, like I think any coach would want want their team to. If we can do those things and, and control the tempo of the game that how we want to, you know, I, I believe we'll have the uh, greatest chance to be successful and win. One final question. I mean, obviously you only look one game ahead, but you know the schedule out there. I'll tell you what, Cavaliers got a pretty tough schedule looking at Portland in Week 2, Notre Dame prep on the schedule Week 3, and, of course, your GAC rivals in Goodrich and Lake Fenton. Didn't give you any cupcakes this year, did they? No. Well, when we, you know, you put feelers out for games and whatnot, and that Week 2 game, you know, I thought I had a team on the hook down in Detroit. There were about four or five teams we talked about that said no. You know, John Navarre is over at, you know, at Portland. He's a good friend. We know each other. He coaches track and field. And, you know, Portland's ten minutes from my parents' house. And uh, Portland Party Store Pizza is amazing, by the way. There's a plug for them. <laughs> there um, you go. So, you know, John and I have talked quite a bit about the game. And, you know, he feels it should be very competitive. I know they've always got big, strong kids. They have their hybrid T system and their 52 defense. They're going to be physical, as you know what. And uh, you want to talk about a game that we need to start fast and control the ball and control the clock, that's going to be one to see. But you're right. You know, we're we're a one game at a time thing. You know, the most important thing to me right now is the kids watch practice film from today and we come in tomorrow morning and have a great practice right off the bat. All right, Kyle, again, thanks for the time here for this podcast. Hopefully you've had a chance to listen to some of them. And Friday nights after games, you know I'm going to be checking in with you on the Sports Forum, all right? I'm always excited for that, but I also like to get in just a little bit of pro wrestling talk with Bart. I was hoping he might be on, but I forgot he's not. He'll be there Friday, man. All right, I appreciate it, Ted. I love what you do for our community, and this is uh, this is a pretty cool thing. All right, Kyle, appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you later. All right, it's great to be gold. First one of the year, buddy. There you go. The Corona Connection is a direct mail paper sent to all of Corona, Vernon, and Shiawassee County parts of Lennon. You can also pick up a copy of the latest edition at many Corona businesses and Kroger. Like them on Facebook, and you can view the entire Corona Connection paper online every month, both on Facebook and at coronaconnection.com. Well, next up on the show, we're going to talk a little Owasso High football with their head coach, Devin Pringle, down in his second year in his program building. And, uh, Devin, how has early season practices been going so far? It's been great. been great. Kids are working harder, doing what we ask them to do, and uh, we're just trying to grind and get a little bit better every day. Now, how's the talent level looking this year as well? I know uh, coming into a, a brand-new situation last year, you just had to deal with things as they came, you know, early on. Uh, you just had to find your team, keep them into it, and then go from there. Obviously, the wins didn't come, but the attitude stayed there all season long. Now you had a chance to have a full summer program, you know, during the school year after football. Where are you sitting at right now? Well, we're uh, we're one year better than we were a year ago. <laughs> we uh, 
we had three starters back last year. Uh, that team we took over was a you know it was an 0 9 team, and they returned three starters to us, and we didn't have JV football uh, that year. So uh, that's kind of where we started a year ago, and uh, we combed the hallways and found some kids that uh, wanted to go out and give it a shot, and were great kids and played hard for us, and. Uh, you know, that's, that's where we, we got to where we got last year, but we, we've had an opportunity this year to get a year under our belts in the weight room and build some numbers and uh, build a little bit of quality, and uh, we're still going to be young. You know, we'll start probably four seniors on the offense and two seniors on the defense. You know, we'll be a young group, but, uh, you know, we, we believe we'll be better in every position this year than we were a year ago. Well, you know, a lot of broadcasters and fans like to talk about uh, the so-called skilled positions, but I'm going to start you off right here. Let's uh, let's talk about the, the boys up front, both offensively and defensively on the lines. How's that looking? Well, I can tell you we're, we're much improved from uh, a strength perspective. Uh, you know, that's uh, I'm kind of a smash-mouth, banged-out uh, football old-school guy, and, uh, you know, it all starts up there. We've got the great leadership in Preston Rollison from uh, – returns to us at a starting tackle spot and the change he's made to his body. You know, he's a kid that went to work and he peeled 50 pounds off of his body and improved his flexibility and his ability to move and his strength. And uh, we think he's going to be uh, a real good one for us this year. Um, we've got a couple of good young juniors. Uh, you know, we had a, a pretty good sophomore class a year ago that uh, they were young, but that, that junior class has got some talent in it. And, uh, we feel real good about the kids we put up front. They're going to get it figured out as the year goes on. But, uh, you know, like I said, we're, we believe we're better in every position up front than we were a year ago. Well, let's go to the uh, the offensive backfield. Uh, who are we going to be looking at as quarterback? And I know you got a couple of Blaha brothers that are going to be seeing a lot of action. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of upset with my mom and dad because they weren't triplets. <laughs> Only two of them. Could have used a whole lot more Blaha. They're uh, great kids. The hard workers, leaders. You know, Hunter uh, is an indication as a sophomore last year was elected captain by his teammates. You know, that doesn't happen often for a kid who's a sophomore. You know, but that's just indicative of the kind of kid he is. And then Colton might be the hardest working kid I've ever coached. Uh, tremendous kid. So both the uh, starting out running halfback for us. Uh, Hunter plays quarterback for us a year ago. He'll play some quarterback. He'll play some halfback. We'll move him around to different places. Um, but we expect both of those kids to be. Uh, Hard no studs for us, leaders for us. And then at the uh, fullback position, uh, we've got a, a couple of kids that uh, do a great job in there. Dakota Garrison is kind of our big guy back there and uh, helps out those tough yards. And then uh, we'll, we'll Damian Andrews is a guy that will get back there and get us some yards. We've got kind of a stable of guys that will rotate through there. Jalen Waters, you know, we've, we've got some options back there. Yeah, and uh, as as you mentioned, practices are going well, and as every coach says, you know, you're only looking at the schedule, the next game on the schedule, taking on your Corona Cavaliers, a big rival game uh, over at Corona this year. You had your first taste of it at Wilman a year ago. Uh, what can you say about your matchup against the Cavaliers and early indications on what you got to do to beat the Golden Black? You know, we've been, uh, you know, we watched 100 hours of film here this last week on them, and they're what you'd expect. You know, they're extremely well coached. Uh, they're disciplined. Um, they're going to be solid. And we've got out execute and out physical and, and out play them on Friday. And uh, they're going to be ready to go. And we've got to be equal to the task. You know, we'd really like to. It's such a great rivalry uh, in high school football. I've been around to a lot of them. They all was a part of a lot of the Hazlitt Pitt rivalry that went on. And 
know, this one's the same kind of deal. It's the Hatfields and McCoys. They kind of stare across M21 at each other, and, you know, our goal is to, to make it a rivalry again. Uh, so we, we think we can uh, continue to close that gap a little bit, and uh, we'll see where we're at this year. But uh, we, we, we certainly expect to go over and compete on Friday. Couple other questions for you. We had some chat about the Owasso Corona rivalry, the three uh, uh, or the other two partners on this podcast and myself earlier. And uh, Jared was mentioning the wing T that you run. You run the double tights and the T formation, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Now, is is your philosophy? Because I really didn't know the answer to this, but you can answer it since I got you on the horn. Is your philosophy philosophy smash mouth football or more of a, a fake and you know cover the ball and and all kinds of play faking? Yeah, we're we're certainly we, we want to use deception as part of the wing tee. That's a a big part of it. Uh, yeah, I'm an old Irv Ziegler wing tee Belden disciple guy, and I was over at. As with Charlie Outloose, you were island in the tee, and that's, uh, you know, when, when we get it going, it's a 40, 50 point a game offense once you kind of get things rolling and established. Uh, um, you know, so there's all kinds of different misdirection elements, high football, you know, when you get fit and disciplined with it. Uh, uh, and we, we're, we're getting better every every week with it, every day we go out to practice, and, uh, and we just, we got to get that machine up and rolling. And uh, once it gets rolling, it, it gets pretty fun. Another thing I, I noticed, I read the, the kind of the preview in the Argus Press, and you took the team up to uh, Carson City Crystal there for, what, about a three-day little mini camp? Tell us a little bit about that experience. I tell you, that's, uh, I don't know how people don't do camp. Uh, it's, it's such a great way to get things started. You get kids away from all the distractions. Uh, we take off, and uh, we rough it for, for three full days, and we focus on nothing but football and meetings and each other and uh, – it's just a great way to get things started. Uh, we all kind of suffer together for those three days. And, uh, you know, we hope it gives us a little bit of an edge on teams that don't do it and gets us a little better prepared and moves us along a little faster. So we're we're looking at every angle, every avenue we can to grow our program and grow our kids and get what a, any kind of an advantage we can get. Now, here's another question that comes up. You, you talk about taking them to camp and getting away a little bit from distractions. Uh, in today's day and age, and you're kind of an old-school guy, I'm sure, the way you approach football, but in today's day and age, didn't have it when I played, haven't had it other than maybe the last 10 years, social media. How do you how do you talk to your team about what they should do and don't do on social media? You know, it's funny you say that. We just had a big conversation about it yesterday, that uh, particularly in these rival weeks, you know, just shut that stuff down, stay out of it. The best response is just to keep your mouth closed and uh, get up and go to work the next day. And, uh, you know, that's – I wish they could, you know, in my personal world, if we could just blow the whole social media thing up, it'd probably be better for everybody. But that's <laughs> probably not going to happen anytime soon. So, you know, we're, we're just going to continue to communicate to our kids to, to be smart about it. Uh, be humble about it and uh, get up and grind and go to work. Good stuff, Coach. I like the way you talk there. All right. Well, listen, best of luck on uh, Friday night. We'll be there, of course, broadcasting it worldwide at Z92.5. And uh, we'll be uh, at Wilman Field for the first time for that Holly Etowasso game. I guess one final thing before we wrap, uh, the Metro League. What would you think about uh, playing in the Flint Metro League last year? And really, who are the, who are the teams to watch out for there? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, you can't take any week off in the Metro. Uh, and if, uh, if anyone thought we were going to go to the Metro and find an easier path, uh, that was a huge mistake. Uh, that's an extremely tough football league. You know, we put four teams in the playoffs last year out of that conference, and all four teams won their opening round playoff game. You know, that gives you a little bit of indication 
of how strong that conference is. And uh, the nice thing about it, it gives our kids a target of where we need to get to and what we want to look like. And uh, I like it that way. You know, we're, we've, we've got some programs in our sites that we're trying to get to and climb past. And uh, the target is high. And that's a beautiful thing about playing in the Metro. But there are no easy ones. You better be at your best. Well, I'll tell you what, you'll get them ready to go. That's for sure. And uh, let's get a few W's this year, right? But I'll tell you what, we're going to be the best version of us we can be, and uh, we, we think we're going to be in a position to compete. So we, we may climb up and surprise a few people. All right, Devin. Devin Pringle, our guest here. We appreciate the time, and uh, we'll catch up with you on Friday. All right, I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Next up, let's see what's going on again with our pod's oldest athletic supporter, Jack Strap. Hey, Jack, I know uh, in the day you enjoyed a good Owasso Corona football game. Yeah, Fred, Matt, Jerry, uh, how you doing tonight? I'm, I hope you're doing well. Uh, yeah, you know, obviously back in the day, Owasso didn't play Corona. might have been interesting to see uh, old Brad Van Pelt play against the Cavaliers. But uh, I think Corona probably is fortunate that they've played uh, Owasso over the last 20 years versus the uh, 50s and 60s. But again, remember, I, uh, I love Corona, and uh, Corona definitely is a fantastic football school. So the only memories I really want to share, uh, guys, is uh, it's been fun watching Jerry play uh, against Owasso. He's done quite well the last few years. But I do want to take this opportunity to share a brief story, one of my favorite stories of going to watch Corona play football. I haven't seen him play every single year, but I was over there. I think it was the fall of 1974. What were you then, Ted? Uh, I was graduated in the fall of 74. My senior year was fall of 73. Well, this is probably why it was a better memory then. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was an unnecessary dig at you, wasn't it? It was. It was. Well, what else would I expect? Exactly. Anyway, so it was the year after you were there. And, uh, of course, Ray Lawcock, you remember that football stud? Of course. Yeah, so he's playing. You've got Saginaw Eisenhower undefeated coming into the Cavalier field for the last game of the year. And, uh, you know, rumor had it that they were taking Crona pretty lightly. Because if I recall, Crona had a eh, little bit better than 500 a year that year. Do you recall? Uh, right around 500. May have been a game below. Okay, and uh, so Eisenhower comes in walking tall. They got a all-state linebacker slash running back. Anyway, Crona gives them all they can handle. They're at the end of the game. Crona scores to tie the game, and I want to say there was like 20 seconds left on the clock, and it was an incredible ending. I was standing right over there on the sidelines, and uh, Coach Anise decides to do a sweep to Lawcock, and up comes this linebacker, and boom, they meet right at the goal line, and Lawcock lost the battle. But you got to give it to a knee saying, hey, we're going for the win right here. So even though Corona lost, I'll never forget that game. Good stuff, yeah. Absolutely. All right, so here, here's my jack strap take. Let's see, guys. Uh, it seems in today's world, the pro sports headlines read more like a newsroom covering crime on the street. Let's see here. What do I got? Uh, Wisconsin suspended highly regarded wide receiver Quintez Cephas after authorities charged him with two felony counts of sexual assault. Hey, Quintez, you're supposed to catch passes, not make illegal unwanted passes <laughs> with aggression. Let's see here. What else we got in the paper? It's all feel-good stuff. Oh, hey, Teddy. 
uh, former NFL offensive lineman Richie Incognito is oh. in the news again. I saw uh, that. What did he do this time? Uh, kicked a postal service delivery man in the groin. Uh, did he choke a waitress at Denny's for not filling up his coffee? Oh, he's in police custody on a misdemeanor charge of disorderly conduct making threats in a funeral home. According to police, they're called the Pinnacle Peak Mortuary, where Incognito was making arrangements for his dad's funeral. Well, I guess grief can trigger many emotions. Uh, well, let's see here. Uh, Incognito was, uh, he was upset with staff. Uh, and began to damage property inside the businesses and shouted employees. At several points during his contact with the staff, he threatened to retrieve guns from his vehicle. That's always a good thing to do oh, when boy. you're trying to do business. In return, and shoot the employees. Oh, goodness, Ted. I think Incognito should attend his father's funeral incognito <laughs> to avoid distraction. Anyway, well, the NFL front office loves stories like this as the many moms out there decide not to have their kids play football, Ted. Yep. But just because of the fear of head injuries, it's ridiculous out there. The numbers are down. Haven't you seen them? Uh, absolutely. We talked about that earlier. Yes, yes. And, and, of course, we cannot cover sports crimes without discussing Ohio State and Urban Myers group. And, of course, you know, I'm sort of an old pervert, Ted, so I focused on, ja- on uh, what was his name, Jack Smith? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, Myers, uh, he's probably going to get suspended for the first game against Hillsdale College. It's crazy. <laughs> anyway, you talk about men's locker room talk. He apparently, uh, uh, Smith I'm talking about here, had $2,200 worth of sex toys delivered to the program headquarters during a four-month period in 2015. Forget Tiger Woods' addiction that I mentioned last week. $2,200 in sex toys, or what I call a sex dereliction addiction. Well, back in my day, guys, we didn't have sex toys. Okay, all right. Well, back in the 60s, my wife and I, we liked to play cops and robbers. But that's another story altogether. I had a set of handcuffs. We got rid of the handcuffs, guys. And today, when my wife and I party, wink, wink, we both wear eye-covering masks because, well, we don't want to scare each other by looking at each other. But anyway, back to the book, guys. According to documents, the orders were shipped to Woody Hayes Athletic Center. Let me tell you, Mr. Smith, that takes one big set of Buckeyes to pull off. Oh, Woody Hayes would be turning over in his grave. Sex toys sent to his building with his name. Why, he didn't need sex toys, guys. How do you think he got the name Woody? (laughs) Apparently, a tradition that's been around the Ohio State program since 1934 when they beat the Wolverines was to give each player a gold charm replicating a pair of football pants. Apparently, Zach Smith wants to give away a sex toy with each set of pants. Anyway, I need to relax now and watch something innocent like maybe Little League World Series or baseball games to take my mind off the crime blog and look forward to Michigan Notre Dame. Go Blue! You guys take care. All right, Jack, take it easy. See you later. Join Corona Public Schools' winning team today. Find out why nearly 40% of their students make Corona their school of choice. Whether young or old, it's great to be gold. Check them out online at corona.k12.mi.us. Well, before we wrap up the show tonight, we got to get into the week that was and part of the week that was. Jared, our youngster, starting college at Grand Valley, uh, only a day or so in. Jared, how are how are things going? Things are going great. I just I need to address something from uh, last pod. <laughs> I, 
I listened to it back, and I knew as soon as I was talking, like, how much fucking I sounded like. If you guys remember, I was talking about, like, how nervous I was. I remember. Uh, I was kind of, like, overzealousing it for, you know, just for theater, and I didn't really think of how that would come across. It did not come across good. Uh, <laughs> right. So, so as for when I got here, so I walk in, and the very first thing I'll see is a poster that says, uh, Vagina monologues. I so I guess it's like a welcome to college type thing. I wasn't really sure what it was. Am I intrigued? Yes. So keep your market calendars for February thirteenth of twenty nineteen. That is coming up quick here at Grand Valley. But other than I, I met my roommate, I've just been kind of walking around the campus. I've been lost a few times. This is what they tell you when you. This is for anyone who's considering going to Grand Valley. They tell you it's a fifteen minute walk from end to end. That might be the biggest lie in the entire world. It took me 30 minutes to get across this campus. Yeah, I remember um, they, them saying the same type of things when, when I went there and always thinking that, no, it takes quite a bit longer. And I know that campus has probably doubled, maybe even tripled in size since even my time there. So, so yeah, I can't imagine uh, how long it would take to go from one end of the campus to the other now. Wait, i got to rewind for one second there with Jared bringing up vagina monologues. Yeah. Okay. First of all, did you look up anything on that, or do you know anything about that? That was what was so confusing about it. I studied this flyer, and there was nothing that really described what it was. Well, first it of all, twenty bucks to get there to get in. I'm not sure that it's a ticket you want to pick up because, from what I understand, it's pretty much 99% in the audience women. Now, I guess that's a that could be a good thing, but I, I'm not sure it's for the male persuasion. I, I I could be wrong on that. Maybe maybe our listeners could okay. correct us. I don't know. Are you? I was obviously kind of throw that out in jest. I am not going to that meeting. Okay. Although I could see why someone would be intrigued as to what it is. They left it open to the public where you don't know what it is. They didn't give you any sort of background info on it. I got you. I got you. And then uh, you talked about the long walk. Now, and you mm -hmm. also mentioned about your roommates. Now, I know you were going in completely blind. What What are your initial thoughts? Like I said, I mean, they're nice guys. Uh, I don't really know what I was really worried about, you know. We're, we're going to get along fine. I've kind of noticed that uh, they're kind of taking more of, like, the, the motherly role of the apartment, you know, getting, like, all the garbage bags and, like, bringing dishes and all that sort of stuff, which I'm appreciative of, because that's stuff I do not want to do. Now, Matt, you're the you're the former Laker. Any other tips for Jared? Yeah, I think I said this off the air last week, but um, the place where we hung out, again, I know the campus has changed since I've been there, but, I mean, we spent a ton of time at the rec center. I mean, we would go up there. We'd go up there to get our workouts in, or we'd go up there and play a couple hours of hoops, but... That, it was social time. It was more social time at the rec center than anything. So I don't know. Have you have you checked that out yet? That's actually where I'm heading because uh, I went and worked out there, not to brag. I worked out there earlier, and I saw some basketball games going. And for those who didn't see me play basketball, I'm pretty bad. But <laughs> in like a walk-up game, like with just some Joes off the street, like I would say I'm upper tier. Where you know I know what I'm doing. I'm not just gonna be a complete idiot. I know my skills. Well, you played varsity. Smart. You played varsity basketball. I will say that, but I feel like I'm a good uh, pickup player. No pickup ball. I mean, yeah, I'm sure you can hang. You're you're a good athlete, so I'm sure you can hang. But if anything, it's it's just a good workout too. It's a good good mm -hmm. place to get a sweat in before you go and you know eat a bunch of garbage food and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure, hundred percent. But it's been going good here. What's been going on down, uh, down? I feel like it's you know this is kind of like the typical. 
like college kids like what's going on like in the hometown like i feel like i've been gone forever what's going on down there (laughs) well obviously we're gearing up for the big game and i know your mom misses you already jared i saw that on facebook i didn't see that did she post a picture of me no 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 okay just 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 a nice comment but uh, what, what's, what's going on with here is, uh, well, first of all, Michigan has officially named a starting quarterback. What do you guys think? I mean, not, not surprised. I mean, being honest, that's, that's why Shea Patterson transferred to Michigan. He transferred to start. So if he wasn't the starter, I think I would have been more concerned than anything. But I, I was a little surprised Harbaugh didn't wait until right before kickoff. Yeah, that's yeah, t- that was a good point, Matt. Well, obviously he knows that Patterson's the guy. He's confident with him, and uh, you know, do we want to talk in depth Michigan football right now and make predictions? Or we want to wait another week for our next pod. I say we wait another week. Let's uh, let's sit on it again. Let's let's see what happens this next weekend, and and yeah, let's let's wait another week. I agree with you on that one because uh, because I definitely have some strong uh, feelings about the Wolverines and Spartans, and. Uh, you know, I'm just cautiously just sitting here, nice and calm at the moment, but I'm I'm just butterflies inside, can't wait for college football. I'm just geeked up for it. Yeah, college football, wow. It's going to be a time. I, I was listening to the prep preview, and Ted actually threw out a pretty solid shot. He said it was his favorite episode because I was – I literally don't even know if I was on it at all. <laughs> <laughs> the beginning. <laughs> well, it stood out to me as, like, the big – line of the entire thing uh we had like the thumb tailgater guy uh fury eddie fury yeah eddie fury eddie fury yeah he mentioned that morris is a team to look out for and, and wow my, i i couldn't believe what i was hearing like he said they had some tricks up their sleeve you never know what you're thinking out of them things really have changed since i left home uh, a couple days ago <laughs> I, I was gonna say I, I remember when i was when i was editing and i heard that I, it kind of took me aback but i know they play eight-man football and they've got the quarterback coming back but I mean, when I when I was playing, you know, when I grew up, Morris, I'm not going to take a shot. But their athletics, they weren't very strong. So I, I was surprised to hear that. Well, I'll tell you what, to, if, and I do follow it here pretty closely. And Kendall Crockett has really done an excellent job taking over the football program since they switched over to eight-man football. And I mean. Morris is a, is a natural school to have eight-man football, and they've embraced it, and they've done a nice job with it. You know, They have just enough good athletes to field a very good competitive eight-man team. You know, and, and when Eddie was on the phone, of course, they followed Deckerville, and Deckerville's an eight-man powerhouse. Morris actually, I think, beat them last year early on in the season, but then lost to them in the playoffs. Yeah, that's cool. That's what I was thinking, too, when, when he was talking about it. You know, I was thinking – he was just going to be talking about teams in the thumb, and he started throwing around Morris and a couple other teams. So there's obviously not that many eight-man teams in the state of Michigan, so they must have to travel sometimes quite a ways just for a regular season game. Well, I'll tell you what, we're seeing quite a trend in more and more eight-man football, Matt. when they first started it, I'm going to say maybe six, seven years ago, you know, there, there, there was quite a few schools less than there is now. There are so many schools in the lower division, the Class D division, that there are now two state championships in eight-man football. Which, which is astounding to me that the growth, you know, you're seeing a drop-off, obviously, in football in general because of a lot of different reasons. You know, the concussion thing is, is way at the top of the list. But, but the, uh, the participation in football, the numbers have gone down, you know, and I think we're going to see more and more, you know, even in Class C football teams field an eight-man team. 
That'd be interesting because, yeah. I mean, I know it's not necessarily a, a football issue, but, you know, you hear about in the prep preview, you hear about Farmington Hills Harrison, you know, they're closing down, so that's one less that's team crazy. that's going to be fielded. It is crazy. And I saw, I don't know, recently, a day or two ago, that there's some pretty big programs in Virginia, some some high-level programs, they call, or high school football is big there, some some schools there that are they're shutting down their football program just because there's not enough participation. Right. Right. So, I mean, the times have changed and they're going to continue to change. And, you know, I'll, I'll segue right into the NFL. You know, the big, big storyline right now is uh, how are they going to control the new rules about the helmet hits? I mean, have you watched any of the film and the penalties that were thrown? I have. And this is quite like Twitter. The NFL is in such a bad spot right now. It seems like anything they do, people are just going to like if they didn't change the rules, I feel like people would have had backlash against it. If they change the rules, people are going to against it. It's just kind of how the NFL is right now, whereas, like, Adam Silver, the NBA, like, he could do anything. He could, right. I, I don't know, come out as, like, pro-Nazi or something that people would probably, like, bow down to him for it. That's just, like, how the, that's just, the NBA, needs, wow, this rant has gone off the rails. What, what I'm saying <laughs> is that the, the NBA is in a better spot than the NFL. All well, right. well, somebody take the floor. No, I, I, I can, I see where you're going with it, the uh, Adam Silver being pro-Nazi and people being cool that. I'm, I'm not sure I'm on board with that, but, but I see the direction you're going. And I think one thing is Adam Silver, like one of the first big things he did as commissioner was the whole Donald Sterling Clippers issue, and he got right on that, took care of it. So he, he set the bar pretty high for what he does, and, I mean, he's very respected. But, but yeah, when you look at this, this new rule in the NFL, it what, when I see it, it looks like the refs, the, the refs are even unsure how to call it because sometimes they make the call and then there will be a play, you know, a play or two later that almost looks the exact same as the one that they call the penalty on and they don't call it. So hey, it just seems like there's such a gray area. And one of the biggest things to me, the whole leading with the head thing and initiating contact with your head for a defender, that's supposed to be the penalty. But, I mean, offensive players can do that. Running backs do it all the time. Receivers even do it. And it's not a penalty. So it just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I understand they're trying to make the game safer, but it seems like they're going to make it maybe more dangerous because guys are not going to know how to properly hit, I guess. Well, that's the thing. And, you know, I, I again, I'm the old guy. I remember the days in the 60s and 70s where, you know, the NFL was about as violent as it can get. And obviously they had to change the rules and protect the head. I mean, we've seen too much of the CTE thing out there. It is, it, it's just so prevalent it's it's obvious they had to clean it up but you know for example if you saw the hit the other night by Jarvis Landry did you see that crackback block he had yeah I mean mm-hmm. th- there was absolutely no reason at all that it had to be a helmet to helmet hit he could have laid that guy out with a shoulder to the to the chest and it would have had the same result and it would have been the same kind of violent hit and it wouldn't have been a it would have been as big a deal as hitting somebody with your helmet i think really they what they do need to do is teach these guys how to not lead with the head it's that simple well that's a, i've seen some of the you know former players on on ESPN and some of the shows talk about that and i think they're obviously like that hit you talked about there are clear uh, cases where that that hit could be you know the, the form could be different in that hit so the penalty could have been avoided but i've seen some of these um, former players talk about trying like physically get down in a tackling stance and act like you're going to tackle someone it's nearly impossible not to lead with the head i mean it's, it's just natural when you're running full tilt 
as fast as these guys are, you know, running across the field, doing everything, and then you go to tackle, like the natural movement is to lead with the head. So it, it's almost like one of those things, like I, don't, I really don't know how you just completely change the way guys tackle. Yeah, and I think part of the problem in the NFL is too is they're just playing at such a high speed and the velocity that they do make their hits. I mean, if you're ever on a field, on the field, I've been on the field for an NFL game, it is astounding the speed and the violence that these guys put out there. It's it's scary. Yeah, it is. Like, that's something I've heard. Like, one of my uh, buddies went to, like, a um, New England Patriots, like, Indianapolis Colts game. And, like, their biggest takeaway, yeah, you just talk about the speed. Like, Julian Edelman. Right. You would think, like, isn't that fast, you know, being a white guy. Not uh, like how Matt was in high school, a white wide receiver. Uh, like, you just, you're just, you kind of expect him to be super slow. But even him, he's just, like, as quick as they come. Yeah. But, yeah, this just talks about how there's so many concussions. Like, you're not going to be able to prevent them. I think that's just the way it is. That's it's, the way football is. It's, it's funny to me, too, a little bit. I, not funny, haha, but the way the NFL, and it's such such a deal with the CTE, and, and it's in the front of our, it, it's publicized all the time. But then you have MMA, and you got boxing, where guys are getting hit across the head all the time, and you don't hear any of this. And how many boxers, how many former boxers, or how many former MMA, MMA people are going to be dealing with CTE? Yeah, I'm sure that's going to come up, and even they talk about soccer. Right. Soccer has a lot of concussion issues and even volleyball volleyball has concussion issues too it's just that nfl is clearly the the most popular sport in our country so it's in front of our face all the time it's on you know it's on these news tv networks and everything all the time so that's what we hear about also guys a little uh, pop culture stuff you know we talked about in the last pod post malone passing michael jackson do you see where the eagles passed the thriller album as all-time number one selling album Eagles' greatest hits. Did it really? Yes. So it's a thrill. He, he's just getting, uh, Michael Jackson's just getting dethroned all over the place. Yep. Do you know who the Eagles are, Jared? Yeah. So personally, you give me Tom Petty over the Eagles, though. Oh, really? got some hits. All right. Interesting call there by the Young Bucks. You guys stand on the Tom Petty versus the Eagles argument that I just created out of the uh, you're, you're nuts as far as I'm concerned. The Eagles are one of the top two or three bands of all time. Uh, I did want to throw one other thing out, guys, uh, before we wrap this up. Did you see the film clip you had to have on Twitter or wherever on the pitching nun in Chicago? Did you happen to see that? I, I don't think so. That. Oh, you got to look it up. There was a, you know how they always have some celebrity come out and throw a first pitch? And there's oh, been. Oh, yeah, yeah. The pitching nun. Yeah, yeah. Sister Mary Jo in Chicago. She had, she threw one of the best first pitches I have ever seen. And to top it off, she started off with bouncing the ball off her elbow, bouncing it up in the air, and then firing a strike to the, to the catcher. And she threw it from the official mound. Incredible. Yeah, that's always the, that's like the golden rule if you have a first pitch like that. You know, if you don't know how to throw properly off a mound, you step in front of the mound and throw off the even ground. But, yeah, for her to throw off the actual mound and, and drop a curveball in like that, that's impressive. When did just throwing a strike become so impressive? Like, I remember George W. Bush, like, after 9-11, like, he threw a strike, and you would have thought he just, like, ended the war. You know what I mean? Like, people went bonkers over that. Well, you know what? I, I, I agree with what you're saying. When did it happen? You know, it happened because there have been – there's been celebrities and other other people that supposedly knew what they were doing have thrown the most god awful pitches. I can remember Fifty Cent. I think had a bad one. 
Yeah, 50 Cent had a bad one, Mariah Carey. Uh, Baba Booey from the Stern Show had an all-time yep. bad one. Golick had a bad oh, one. Oh. Michael Wilbon even has had a bad one. But, but yeah, there, there have been some awful ones out there. Only Ted would know of the one like Howard Stern. Uh, <laughs> once in a while, guess that's a bad joke. Look it up, Jared. Google it. Very obscure reference there. Baba Booey, first pitch. All I know about Baba Booey is they yelled out after Rob. <laughs> that's so, right. Even when they hit a drive, sometimes people yell out Baba Booey. That's right. Hey, oh, Al, I think we're running out of time, boys. Any other topics you need to get out on the table here? Oh, well, I just had a couple of thoughts. Um, First off, just in regards to the Corona Lasso game, uh, Corona, you cannot lose this game. Um, you already, not to point any fingers at a certain class, but you've already lost the Ovidelsi basketball streak. Lasso football streak, I think you just got to hang up the cleats and the shoes and the sneakers for good. And last thing, I also had a comment from uh, my brother Josh. He said that uh, Ted looks like a serial killer in our new logo. I don't know where we go with that. Uh, <laughs> if we make an update or something, I don't know. <laughs> I am what I am. What can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to Josh. Hey, by the way, I was going to ask you one other question, Jared, about the uh, Corona Wasso game. Now, you you won both your games. Matt, you won. Did you play two or one? We went one and one. Okay. How'd your brothers do there, Jared? That was what I was going to mention. Uh, well, I another memory I have that I didn't get to, but like the 2013 Light It Up game. Right. It was supposed to be Corona's like coming back game, and they wore like lime green socks. <laughs> uh, they were going to light up the field. They just got absolutely blasted. Owasso ran the ball like every play, just right on their throat, beat them by like 28 points. Was that the class of yeah. 2013, but the 2012 game? Yeah, Johnny's like 0 and 3 against Owasso. Oh. Josh was 1 and 1. So oh, okay, not great. So Jared held up the family name there. I did. You do not want a loss to Owasso on your resume. Cough, cough. <laughs> Hey, man, it was that rain delay. That's what did it. It was the lightning delay. We would have won that game otherwise. That'll do it every time. All right, boys, good stuff as always. And we want to tell our friends out there, share this podcast with all your friends. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple iTunes. While you're at it there, rate and comment on our podcast page. Also, you can check in on uh, SoundCloud or TuneIn. Whichever site you listen to, we really appreciate it. Email us at 3pointpod at gmail.com. I noticed we got quite a few tweets at 3pointpod. Uh, we'll get into some of those in a future show. Again, I want to thank uh, Rivals Tap House and Grill, the Corona Connection, and Z92.5 The Castle. Also, coaches Devin Pringle of the Trojans and Kyle Robinson of the Corona Cavaliers. This has been a Sportsnet Michigan production. Until next time, thanks for listening to Three Point Podcast.